This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. This is the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show, number 59, and I'm your host, Eric Renderping-Fisk. In this roundtable edition with Jason Casano and John Pica, we discuss Rogue One News. Is summer too hot for costuming? Have you ever worn indie wear or diesel punk gear to a rent fair? And if not, would you? And then we wrap up the show with a summer reading list. So hang on to your fedoras. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. All right. So, uh, why does that voice sound familiar to me? It should. Should we go around and should we introduce everybody? Because right now we actually have four people on on on, on the round table here. Um, okay. Outstanding. Uh, John, why don't you introduce? Because uh, personally, for me, I don't think you need an introduction, but just. <laughs> um, I am John Pica, the artist, also known as. Big Daddy Cool, Johnny Delaraca, magician, variety artist, diesel punk performer, and the producer and host of the Diesel Powered Podcast, the voice of Diesel Punk, and uh, we're um, the only English-speaking podcast specifically focused on Diesel Punk as a genre. Oh, okay. That's why you sound And the thing is, there you go. Sorry, Jason. I I didn't mean to talk over you like that, but uh, no, the the thing is, is that, no, you really have to hear this guy's podcast. It's pretty awesome. So, Oh, Oh, yeah. If anyone listening has not heard it, I recommend you do listen give it a listen it's it's great so and of course the obvious question is jason cousino how, how does the world know jason cousino besides of your very special episode of america's most wanted with uh, john walsh well i was i was hoping we wouldn't get into that because i'm living under an eddy now <laughs> I'm, I'm now known as clark kent so <laughs> Oh. No, no, the world at large generally doesn't know me. That's I'm a, uh, I, I've been on the Fedora Chronicles podcast with you, uh, I, I don't know, a dozen times? something like Quite that. a few so times. So that's probably... Quite a few times. Yeah, no, quite a few yes. times, Jay. Yeah. I don't know, at least a dozen, I think, because in the beginning it was either me or Doug that were on with you. Yeah, so I think, uh, so anyway, our fourth guest, our fourth guest, this is his very first appearance on a podcast. It is uh, Tumble Fisk, who is, uh, uh, he's uh, he's a young gentleman, uh, born and raised here in in uh, the state of New Hampshire here, and uh, uh, he uh, he is most famous for sporting his uh, favorite blue uh, sweatshirt and gray fedora. And uh, he also records some of our bumpers once in a while, and he's very popular uh, in school. So anyway, Tumble, uh, say something to the people. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 less than half the school. Like, I don't. Th- <laughs> only, only three, only of only three to ten people 
know that I'm on a podcast. And in the school, there's 250 to 300 people. And they all know that you do this podcast. <laughs> he's all, he's blushing now. But anyway, he wanted to sit in because he he wanted he wants um, he wanted to talk about Rogue One and uh, and a couple of other things. So I think well, um, so we're just waiting for our, I think we're waiting for Josh Knight to show up. Um, but uh, yeah. so but the thing it looks is, like he's having connectivity issues. So what projects is everybody working on? Why don't you go first, John? Well, uh, actually, right as we are recording, I am finishing up editing the newest episode of the Diesel Powered Podcast that will uh, be posted tonight. It's our uh, live broadcast, our live taping, if you will, from uh, Hypericon, which is a um, independent sci-fi geek culture comic con here in Nashville that we just had over Father's Day weekend, and. Uh, had a great time and uh, working on that, getting ready for a uh, performance and uh, in just a couple of weeks of my uh, show, Tales from the Flipside Live, which is music and magic performed by Big Daddy Cool Johnny Dallaraca and inspired by the novel of the same name, which is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, iTunes and Audible. There oh, you go. Oh, it's on Audible. Yeah. Oh, then because I'm, I'm an Audible user and I'd love to be able to uh, um, uh, download that and then uh, after, I, after I listen to it I'm going to actually have to give you uh, uh, an interview here because that's what it's Yeah, like. that would be great. I would that, love to talk about that. Uh, Got to get more authors here on the show. So, so John, here's a question for you. Um, how do you manage to stay so busy and, and just remain just high energy all the time? Well, <laughs> you know, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, it's just who I am. It's, you know, it's not what I do. It's who I am. It's in my DNA. I've always got to be working on uh, something creative, working towards, you know, being in front of an audience, whether that's on stage or whether that's on a podcast or, uh, you know, through the written word, uh, you know, just um, always looking to create my unique vision and my unique voice. And so that's just, that's what drives me. Oh, that That is fantastic. Because like every time I turn around, you have something new going on. So uh, Well, I, you know, I don't know if I actually have anything new. It's just come back around again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we do, we, I, you know, I do the podcast almost weekly. Um, there are a couple of times where we've had uh, a couple of weeks off. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I de do the diesel-powered podcast, and I do another podcast um, for uh, Comic Extravaganza and GraphicPolicy.com. It's a video cast on uh, Wednesday nights, uh, the D and Johnny show, and we talk about comics and modern pop culture. But um, and, and then I do live shows, and you know I do about two or three theater or Comic Con or festival shows a month, and uh, sometimes all three in a month. And so, you know, um, it, it seems like I'm, I'm really busy, but for the most part, it's, it's just, uh, you know, really those three projects and, uh, you know, working on a new book, um, Tales from the Flipside Part Deux, and um, that'll be hopefully coming out by the end of this year. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a writer. I, I'm, I'm a published author, but I wouldn't consider myself a writer. And what I mean by that is, you know, my friends who are actual writers, that, that's what they do. Right they, right. they write all the time. I, I write when I have a story to tell. And so, you know, it may not, uh, may not come to me immediately. You know, I, I, I've got to have inspiration. So the next book and um, getting ready to sit down and write it. But, uh, you know, it's not something I do every day. And, 
We're going to do, uh, we're working on a little video series that bridges the two books, not a video series, a short film. And uh, that's with me as the uh, character, um, Big Daddy Cool. And uh, we've got uh, Santiago Cirillo from The Walking Dead. He was on uh, season four of The Walking Dead. Um, I can't remember his character, but anyway, uh, he's in the short film as, as one of the characters. And uh, Ella De La Vega, the, uh, one of the ring announcing girls from NWA Wrestling, is, uh, is in it. And uh, we're having a lot of fun uh, shooting that, and that's going to be out hopefully in August. That's that's phenomenal. That's that's a lot. That's that's quite a bit, Jason. Yeah, well, you know, you just go you ahead. Just do it in chunks. Yep. You just do it in little bite-sized pieces. You just wake up every day and you say, "What am I going to do?" And you do it. That's it. You know, pretty much. That's one of the hardest things. It's like uh, um, somebody had asked me, uh, "What's what's the what, what are the two hardest aspects or the two hardest parts of, of doing any kind of art?" And I say, uh, <laughs> "Starting and stopping," because the thing is, it's so hard to stop uh, when you get when you're in the mode when you're in the mood you're into it you're like you're and you're working a piece and you can overwork a piece and the thing is is knowing when to when to stop and then there's you know starting up is is really even harder because the thing is is that uh if you're like me you've had a lot of people who say oh you can't do that or you can't do that because you're not this and you're not that you're not one of the popular cool kids or you don't have any talent and of course it's like you have to like cross this threshold and, and, and gather up your bravery and say, I'm going to do this. And then just ignore the, the, the inner and the outer voices and just get it on, basically. Yeah, so, you know, that, uh, that kind of thing is actually my biggest motivator. When someone tells me I can't do something, by God, I'm going to do it just to spite them. That's it. And, and when I was in uh, high school, I uh, wanted to be a performer at a theme park at uh, Kings Island. And so I was going down to audition for Kings Island in Cincinnati. And uh, this mentor of mine, uh, a magic mentor named Mike Bishop, and today he claims he did it on purpose. But, uh, you know, he told me at the time, yeah, you know, you, you, you won't be able to do that. All those all those guys are uh, trained professional dancers and, and you'll never be able to get cast in that. And um, and I you know I was I was overweight at the time, so I was, I was too big, and, and he told me that. So I went out, lost 136 pounds. Oh, good for you! Took some dance classes, became a hell of a dancer. Went and auditioned, and got cast. That's awesome. Yeah, and and I I danced professionally um, as a you know I got training, but I danced professionally on stage for you know four, five, six years uh, before uh, an injury took me out. But. Oh. Uh, you know, yeah, I had, the, I had the same problem with my pro ball career. I, I was I was on on track to be a professional ball player until I hit about age I think it was six. And then, uh, <laughs> I stubbed my toe real bad, and I just uh, yeah, it was done. Uh, Dude, just, I broke my ankle. Yeah, and didn't oh, know it. Oh yeah, I, I, now the thing is is that uh, I I um I, I broke a bone in my back. Um, I think it was L oh. L four I think, but I broke my back, but I didn't break my spine. There's a huge difference. I broke a bone in my back, but not the actual spine and the thing is is that it was like you don't think that affects you but yeah no that that does i don't have the same range of mo movement that i used to have um but uh no the thing is is that you that's that's one of the things about performers is that it's just luck because they haven't had a major injury that hasn't set them back yet and then it's like when you do get injured it it takes a lot of work to get back to to rehabilitate yourself so well it does i was actually out for two years in uh, 2006 i had a back injury on stage Oh. And uh, with with the swing kittens doing a dance number, 
I uh, I lifted and she didn't push and uh, something snapped in my back oh, and I, know what that I feels was like. I was out for two years oh. doing rehab before I could uh, get on stage again. Get back on the horse. Yeah. Jason, what are you working on, pal? I, heard, I I know that you're working on some videos and stuff like that for a, with a friend of yours. So what's that yep. all about, uh, man? My brother-in-law and I are uh, we're putting together a bunch of videos. He basically has um, he makes good money, and so he put himself on a bunch of those you know ship you a box of stuff every month kind of thing. Oh no kidding! <laughs> and, and yeah, and then every every week I go over his house and we film us opening the boxes and talking about it, and uh, we call ourselves two call ourselves two guys without a clue, and <laughs> we talk about pretty much anything that comes into our mind because we got there's boxes like there's battle box which sends you um information about and projects that you are uh, information rather and products that are geared towards um like tactical readiness uh-huh. like if someone were to do a, invade your home how would you respond you know if the country were to be invaded and they called up a, a, a true militia you know would you be able to join would you be able to work with others that kind of thing um, one of the other ones we have is, I forgot the name of it is, it's basically, it's like a survival box and they, each month you get a project. Like one was how to build a deadfall trap and, uh, another one was how to live out of a tarp. Oh yeah. I know what that's like. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bunch of interesting things like that, but we also have like, um, what do they call it? The, uh, battle, the not battle box, what the heck is the name of it? I got the box sitting in the other room too it's basically it's like a themed box and he signed up for the firefly themed boxes because of course we're firefly fans because firefly fans because firefly is, is just awesome it was, it was a great show awesome and it too soon and you know and, and we just you know anything that kind of catches his fancy he'll order a box and when i go in there i don't know what boxes we're opening and he's got an idea of what's in the box, but he doesn't have an he doesn't have like a an item list of what's in it. So, and then from there, we also talk about um, we're both big into guns, so we'll talk about various guns that we fired or that either of us have owned, um, our experiences with them. We talk about things like gun safety, knife knife safety, um, even pretty much anything that comes into our heads. Like we talked for a while one night about road safety. You know, because it seems like people on the highway just don't pay attention anymore. Whether it's, you know, they're listening to the talking on their phone, whether they're, heaven forbid, texting and driving, or just zoning out while they're driving. You know, not necessarily thinking of anything. They're just in that kind of zoned out state. That's all That's all dangerous, not only to them, but to everyone else on the highway. So we'll oh, talk ask about me, that. A- ask me how I know that. <laughs> right? Yeah. How's your wife doing? Oh, she's doing fine. John, I don't know if you if you know this or not, but uh, back in 2008, my wife was rear-ended by somebody who was texting and driving and speeding all at the same time. And uh, this was her third near-fatal accident. Not my wife's, but the other driver. And uh, my, my, my wife, um, uh, she was pretty messed up. She had some severe neck injuries. But she just she just bounced back and uh, yeah, he's he's downplaying it. His his wife was should not have survived the accident. Yeah, because the paramedics on site after they looked at the X-rays, they said there's no way the paramedics should have been able to move her from the car to the stretcher without severing her spinal cord because all wow. of the bones in her cervical vertebrae yeah. were essentially just broken and set to shred. 
yeah or a spinal cord and they did yeah so yeah and they had, it was and, very serious and they had to actually open up um the back of her neck to put some of the bones back together and and uh she's been she's fused in a couple of uh a couple of vertebrae um yeah it's 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 been it's been a, a shitty past couple of years actually <laughs> well it's that's crazy i i'm sorry to hear that 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 sucks and you know yeah anyone out there listening yeah don't don't text and drive don't drive distracted and don't drive tired oh exactly you know i travel i travel a lot and i drive a lot and you know what you gotta have you gotta have enough uh humility to say you know what i can't go another mile or two i need to pull off by the side of the road and just take a nap yep and you i, will know, tell I you just this. need to stop i have a i have a number of friends that are police officers and every single one of them to a man will say, or woman in a couple of cases, will tell you that if you're pulled over on the side of the road and the police pull up behind you and ask what you're doing there and you say, I was just too tired, I need to take a nap, at most they'll say, well, do you feel rested enough that you can go to the next exit? Because being on the side of the road, you're still a hazard, but they would rather you on the side of the road sleeping than in the middle of the road sleeping. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're really, that's not something you're going to really get in trouble for. Like I said, at most they're going to say, I need you to go to the next exit. I'll follow you to the next exit kind of a thing. All right. It's, so yeah, Don, out here, I don't know where you live, John, but I live in Utah, and we have long stretches of road with no exits. So they actually have signs like every five miles that say, if you're tired, pull over. There's a rest area up ahead. Pull over and sleep. Do not drive drowsy. Yep. So I, I live in Tennessee where we have a lot of mountains and, and hills. So uh, if you fall asleep here, you're going off the side of a cliff. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I've been to Tennessee. Yep. So anyway. <laughs> Murfreesboro and Chattanooga and Nashville. Yeah, I live in Nashville. Oh, okay. All right. Very cool. So with that said, we're still waiting for Josh Knight. He may show up um, uh, sooner or later, but uh, that's not the purpose of the show is waiting around for Josh. They, I got some news items here that I wanted to talk to everybody about. Uh, This was a big, huge week for Star Wars news. Um, Entertainment Weekly came out with a big, huge blockbuster issue with an article about uh, Rogue One and uh, gave character details. Uh, It revealed that um, uh, Force Whitaker is playing a character who first appeared on Star Wars The Clone Wars, um, which is really awesome. And uh, another, uh, I think the best news of all is that James Earl Jones has confirmed that he is going to be doing the voice of Darth Vader in Rogue One. And the crowd. You know, I got to ask, why is that news? Why is oh, why the, would they have anyone other than James Earl Jones do his voice while James Earl Jones is alive? I mean, he did the voice on Rebels. Well, he, the, why, the news is mostly because they didn't know if Darth Vader was actually going to be in the movie at all. There was rumors about it, but it was just rumors. This is just they confirmation. Never confirmed it at Disney. This is just well. This is just confirmation. Publicly, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Probably. Although, although some of us who have insider information have been sharing that news for over a year. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I got I said, friends inside Lucas Films, and I yeah, got but the that's, whole dish on that. But that's again, that's that's all. Honestly, it's rumors until they actually admit it publicly. But, so. but Eric, just because you trust him doesn't mean I do. Yeah, John. Well, 
But the news about Forrest Whitaker's character is humongous. Oh yeah, huge news. Because if you yeah. were, if you were a fan of the of the Clone Wars, which uh, <laughs> we all were, I was more of a fan of the last three seasons and the season that they had on uh, Netflix. I thought I thought that was real Star Wars. That was like real hardcore. Oh my God, they went there, Star Wars. Um, and I'm really enjoying Rebels. But the character that Forrest Whitaker is playing, um, I, sh- I don't have it here, but I should have it. it was- Saw, uh, Saw, what is his last name? First name is Saw. Hold on. You can tell yeah, that you're from the inside track. Well, you know, what's exciting about it, though, is that, uh, you know, they're they're pulling in the Clone Wars and the prequel era into the new canon. Well, I, Clone Wars has always been canon. Anything that happens on screen is canon. But, you know, th- there was some concern among prequel apologists, of which I am one, that, uh, you know, the, the new direction for the Star Wars movies was going to completely ignore everything before A New Hope. And, you know, in technical terms, Rogue One is a prequel. Right. And, um, and, and so the fact that they're bringing in a character from the Clone Wars is, is fantastic. Um, Saw Guerrera okay. was, was the character's name. Okay, yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and so I'm super excited about that. And because it, it unlocks all these other possibilities for the Star Wars film universe to interact and interconnect. And, you know, Dave Filoni, the director, the supervising director of the Clone Wars and now of Rebels, um, has said that in, in the upcoming season of Rebels that we're going to see some expanded universe characters brought back into canon. And we don't you know, know who that's those are yet. To me. That's exciting yeah. to me because I was a it, fan of a lot of those books. I loved Admiral Thrawn. I loved yeah. um, Mara Jade. You know, they were just really interesting, fascinating characters, and it really, really fleshed out that universe that, honestly, we only got a glimpse of. It's like trying to extrapolate everything that you can know about the human race from just watching newsreels of World War II or watching yeah. just Band of Brothers, really, because it's only about those certain characters. Right? Yeah. Even the prequels and the original trilogy were really, it's the, it's the Skywalker saga. That's know? right. Yeah. So I, I am, that is good news to me. Well, and, and, and knowing that, and, and knowing now that um, the, the, the creators of Star Wars are serious about this consistent interconnected universe with the introduction of the the character of Saw into Rogue One, now if we're going to get EU characters in Rebels, which is also canon, what does that mean for subsequent films, Episode Eight, Nine, some standalone films? Uh, me personally, what I would love to see this is my fanboy dream because I am a Star Wars freakosaurus. Yeah, <laughs> I would love Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see. Mara Jade, Thrawn, and Talon Card introduced in season three of Rebels. And by the way, season three will be the final season. What? Um, so it, yeah, yeah. They've already announced that it will be the final season. So it'll only be three seasons long. But if they introduce those three characters, or if they just introduce Mara Jade yeah. into back into canon, and then this is all I want out of episode eight. All I want is for Luke Skywalker to say the name Mara Jade. Yeah. I don't even need to see her. She doesn't need to be a part of the story. I just want him to say her name. I'm done. 
Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Now hold on, because one of the things that one one of my geek boy hand things, my wife and I were actually talking about this. The yes, I, I talk about Star Wars with my wife. She's a very patient woman. Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> I but, do. She just rolls her eyes at me. Oh. Well, my wife does too, but she'll listen and engage in conversation too because she likes she likes she allows me to harbor my fantasies. But um, one of the things I would love to see is Lando Calrissian, his kid, come into play somehow in episode eight and episode nine. I think that would be phenomenal because Lando in the expanded universe basically becomes like the head of the CIA for the for, for the <laughs> Republic, you know. So for me, if they just throw Lando's son in there, that adds a whole new element. I mean, it is, the you know, these are about the children of the main stars. And so far, we've only seen one. That, that we know of. But if That we know of. Possibly two. Uh, possibly two. But I don't know if I buy that Ray is the child of, of Skywalker. I, 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 I well, just don't get that. Yeah. The, the specific phrase I want Luke to utter is, your mother was another Jedi named Mara Jade. That's, that, that's what I want Luke to say yeah and, oh, that would be awesome if he just said you look so much like mara yeah yeah he something like have that. to say anything more than that and like any eu fan is gonna freak they're just gonna have a have a geekgasm right there yeah it'll because be messy. it'll be you know the poor people have to clean up with with mops and, <laughs> and stuff. but yeah yeah in in my mind mara jade is the one who was in that ship leaving ray on jakku to protect her from the rogue kylo ren yeah and i think uh ben solo kylo ren is is the one who killed mara jade that in my mind that's the story yeah but well that we'll would have to wait and drive see. luke into into exclusion right especially if if she is the child of luke and mara then the death of mara i could see that driving luke into seclusion because that was one thing that kind of bothered me about episode seven but it didn't bother me too much is what would cause Lou you know just because he had a student that went rogue meh, light side dark side it's gonna happen you know but the fact that she, he killed his wife that I could see him withdrawing yeah, I, I think that for me, the whole thing is that, well, first of all, we have new Star Wars movies. That that in and of itself is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. But, but the thing is, is that for me, what's even more exciting is Rogue One, because now now there's the door is open to all sorts of other stories that are going to take place in, in this universe, in this galaxy. And it was just like, um, there's nothing that they can't do. There's absolutely nothing that they cannot do within the Star Wars universe within reason. And and the idea that Kathleen Kennedy had come out and said a while back, I don't know, I, I'm sure it was either in a press conference or a convention or something, whereas it's like they're going to open the doors and allow people to submit scripts. And the thing is, if, if your script is good enough and it follows these specific beats, they might actually make that Star Wars movie. And I would, I would but the thing is, is that there, there is going to have to come a time sometime in the near future where they're going to have to go back and do um, movies about the old Republic. And just like when Obi-Wan Kenobi said, you know, the, the, the whole bit about the, you know, the Republic has like ruled, uh, has been guardians of the galaxy for 10,000 generations. They're going to have to do a lot of, they could do as many movies as they want about that but for me the whole thing is that i really hope that uh rogue one is like um a band of brothers where i hope it's gritty and i hope it's i hope it's a genuine war movie like the honestly i hope they don't have any force users in it other than darth vader yeah. because the power of the force if you look at it can be devastating when you're dealing with people who cannot use the force 
and yeah, you don't and, get a feel for that because it's balanced on both sides. Well, and you know, I get the feeling that uh, we won't see any force users. We, we we do have a character who has studied the ways and technique of the Jedi, but is not, uh, according to the description, is not a force user. And I think in season three of Rebels, is that, we, is that Donnie Yen that plays that character in Rogue One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. And and you know, I uh, I believe in season three of Rebels, we're gonna see the the final fate of. Uh, Ezra and Kanan, and um, they will be the end of the Jedi uh, as we move into the Rogue One era. And um, the exciting thing about Rogue One is that, yes, there are new characters, but it takes us ten up to 10 minutes before the start of A New Hope. Yeah, It ends 10 minutes before the opening sequence of A New Hope, and that's super exciting to me. Well, that means R2-D2 is going to be in it, which would mean R2-D2 would be the one character that has been in every single Star Wars movie. That's that's right. Well, C three PO is in it as well. Really, I didn't know that. You know what? I'm not you know a huge what? fan of C three PO. I I hate C three PO. Really? This is a guy who is he's a robot who is designed to be fluent in every six million forms of communication, and every time he mentions that, he's like, I have no idea what they say. Really? That's funny. You know? That's that's funny. I I just I, I find him to be. You know, people hate Jar Jar Binks. I'm actually a Binks apologist. It's 3PO that I can't... St- I loathe him entirely. Okay, because Eric and I actually had a theory going into episode three that we were hoping George would have picked up on as an FU to all the fanboys that hated Jar Jar Binks. And we wanted Jar Jar to be the one to save Luke and Leia as infants and, like, get his life protecting them from Darth Vader. Yeah, I really wanted to see that. Oh. I really want. that would have been awesome. That would have been right? that would have been incredible. I, I would have really have liked to have seen a very sad, touching scene with Jar Jar, like begging Anakin just after he turned into Darth Vader. Hey, Annie, you know I've been your friend and all like that since since uh, uh, um, Wee is all the way back from Naboo. And it's like you know Darth Vader says, "Look, all I want to know is is that where's my wife?" And Jabba says, "Well, but Misa don't know." And then Vader just cuts him in half, you know, while while like the ship is like running away or flying away or whatever. That would have been awesome. And a lot of people said, "Oh, Jar Jar is my favorite character," and they missed that opportunity. I think yeah. they really- not only that, but it, the fanboys I think also would have kind of freaked out. The ones that hated Jar Jar would have said, "Oh, yay, they killed Jar Jar!" And then they left the theater and been thinking about it and going, "Holy crap, Jar Jar stayed living late." Yeah, exactly. I, I thought I thought that, you know? that would have been a perfect. That would have been a perfect way to end that character because you look at what Jar Jar Binks did Jar Jar Binks actually did a horrible thing by saying by um, saying hey we, we got to give executive powers to uh, uh, to this Palpatine guy so we can end the war faster Jar Jar created the Empire if anything Jar Jar created the Empire it, well if it wasn't him it would have been somebody else but it's still him yeah I love that fan theory that uh, Jar Jar is the uh, Dark Lord the the, the, the the real master Sith <laughs> yeah I love that theory that is a funny theory so but anyway uh so is anybody looking at the costumes that are being by the way john i don't know are, are you a big cosplayer or or do you just uh, do you just wear diesel punk uh, garb so i do a couple of cosplays i do um i do a, a diesel era 1940s darth vader vic vader the that's Imperial right mob enforcer that's right 
and uh, Vader's my favorite character. I've got a that kind of Vader awesome. shrine in my office, and uh, so I do that cosplay character. And you know, looking at the costumes in in Rogue One, I guess this is kind of where you're going, Eric. Very, very pulp feel to them. Very. Um, you know what what I call diesel punk, and um, I'm one of those uh, weird people in the diesel punk community that thinks Star Wars is good diesel punk. Uh, that's three of it, us. That's three of us. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, it meets all the criteria. It, it's contemporary in origin. It has the visual aesthetics, um, even the audio aesthetics in the scoring by John Williams. It's very reminiscent of the uh, classical scores of the uh, mid-20th century. Yeah. Um, so it's got the aesthetics, and, and it's obviously sci-fi and fantasy. And um, those three things make, you know, for me, it, make, it makes something diesel punk and, and Star Wars qualifies. Now, is it something that I would hand to someone if they said what is diesel punk would i hand them a copy of star wars and say this no that that that's reserved for sky captain but if if uh you know we get into the conversation and we get deeper down and someone goes hey what about you know this star wars kind of has that 30s serial feeling and yeah. look to it well exactly duh that's the idea and that that's what makes it diesel punk for me I, um, this is what I this is what I love about the, my age where I am now. Whereas it's like I, I can agree with someone or disagree with them and still respect them and like them. And and for for me, I'm not saying that uh, you're wrong. I I think that you're right, but you won't go that one last step. I say it is ex- very very diesel punk because and I'll and I'll tell you why. When they were making Star Wars, they made Star Wars on a budget. And the thing is, is that a lot of the things that they that they that they had to make, a lot of the props, they just went to old um, Army and Navy surplus stores, and they just bought like a whole bunch of stuff, and they just repurposed it for yeah, the do it yourself kind of attitude. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that it's like you know the the guns that the rebels used and the guns that the stormtroopers used is that they just they just like modified them by putting like like uh, heat sinks on them. And and, uh, and and so much of um, uh, you know, like the Millennium Falcon. It's like if you, if you look closely, you can spot some stuff that they must have bought at an Army Navy surplus store. And the actual parts of the Millennium Falcon on the outside were actually, you know, uh, the greeble along along the edges of the Millennium Falcon are, are actually like used airplane parts. <laughs> And it was just like, uh, no, I, I, th- I think that it was like uh, Star Wars is, is, is the perfect, at least, at least A New Hope is the epitome of diesel punk because it, it, that's what it does. But it's like, it, it's not in your face. But the thing is, is that there's obvious parallels with, um, uh, with, with the partisan resistance during World War II. There's obvious references to Nazism. Uh, oh, absolutely. And the, there's, well, all of the, everything in the original Star Wars movie, A New Hope, all of the air of combat was taken almost frame for frame from World War II dogfighting newsreels. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 is it. It definitely. I think it definitely is is diesel bunk. I think it is the epitome. Of well, yeah, bunk. and you know, I I, I do uh, point out in in panels that I give at conventions, and we've talked about this on the Diesel Powered Podcast quite a bit. You know, there's there's actually even further evidence. You know, a big thing in the diesel punk community is that, you know, the, the foundation, the fuel of the economy is is diesel fuel. That's why it's called diesel punk. Right. That was the, the fuel used in the, the historical era, um, most widely used. So uh, when you look at, you know, I had someone say, well, you know, there's no there's no diesel fuel. Well, OK. Watch what the films. Were they pour- what were they pouring into the X-Wings as they were getting ready for the final run? <laughs> exactly. You can see them. 
you can see them pumping something through a hose. And Lucas has said in an interview that it was petroleum. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's petroleum. Um, but even if he had never said that, the implication is there because in in the prequels, twice at two different occasions, R two excretes oil. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, and one point sets it on fire. Um, in one of the best scenes of Phantom Menace ever. Um, but you get beyond that, and you look at the uh, the the Imperial Walkers, the the Adats on Hoth. Those are hydraulic, and hydraulics aren't working on atomic power or steam power. That's 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 petroleum based fuel right there, making those things move. Yeah, just to listen to the sounds of them as they move. You know. Yeah, yeah. So- and, and then you get into the aesthetics of of the film, the visual aesthetics, and especially the prequels. And this is why I'm a prequel apologist, because I love the Art Deco styling all oh, through yeah. the prequels, oh, yeah. especially in the Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace to me is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever watched. Uh, Queen Amidala's flagship, that silver space plane i call it yeah golly i want one of those so bad basically it's a stylized sr-71 that's what yeah yeah it's phenomenal it is it's like there are so many things in the phantom menace and attack of the clones uh and not so much not so much uh uh revenge of the sith that that has that very sort of art deco feel to it and the thing is is that it's like i i think that those three movies are, are better diesel punk movies than Sky Captain, but I could be wrong. I, I, I could be wrong. I know that a lot of people love to point at Sky Captain and say, uh, no, no, that, My that's... My problem with Sky Captain is that filter that they put on everything that kind of gave, gave everything that soft focus. Yeah. And I know that was a stylistic choice on the part of the director, but I just it, it removed me too much from the film. It made it harder for me to get into it. The storyline, I think, was spot on. Yeah. But I, I don't think it was a great storyline either. But that's just... And by the way, John, you are not alone. I love the prequels. I am not an apologist. I am a fan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I am a huge fan too. And and actually, you know, in order of my favorite, you know, Empire Strikes Back is my, my favorite. Yeah. Um, I think that's a perfect movie and it's a perfect Star Wars movie. But after Empire Strikes Back, Phantom Menace is my second favorite Star Wars movie. I, and I've seen it in the theaters more than any of the others. Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I can actually honestly see that. Um, the, the thing is, is that um, one of the things about reach, and, and I don't want to get too far into this because I, I have another interesting topic because people sent me some when I said that we were going to be doing this topic, like three or four people sent me responses back. Uh, talking about uh, summer cosplay, but I think that the thing that George Lucas really, um, really needed was a Gary Kurtz on uh, um, Return of the Jedi, and I think that there's some. Th- I think there are a couple of things that he really needed to just sort of tone tone in a little, or or, or dial it back a little, um, especially with Jar Jar Binks. I think that I, I don't I, I don't know if his if they could have done something with his voice or something, or should it have been like a practical. Uh, costume or something because because it, it, well it, it now looks very dated though well that's interesting because that's I, when I watch it I have a heart there there are scenes because they filmed it all with um, Ahmed best in a costume right um, so he is actually physically on set in a costume and then they did the CGI over it and the great thing you get with that is there are times where I can't tell um, you know, the, 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 there are times when they did it so well, I couldn't tell which, you know, what I was seeing. But here's the thing about Jar Jar Binks, and we can get off this topic and, and move on to the summer cosplay thing if you want. Sure. But, you know, this is why I'm, I'm a Binks apologist is because, you know, I got two kids. My son is 16. 
And he became a Star Wars fan through Jar Jar Banks, you know, because he was too little to understand what he was really watching. But he 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 loved that character because he could relate to it and understand that character. And so any character that makes my kid and my daughter loves Jar Jar Binks. We just watched uh, season six of the Clone Wars again on Netflix. And, you know, there's that episode of, uh, with Jar Jar and uh, Mace Windu. Yeah. And she just laughed through the whole thing. She's 12. And just she said, I love that guy. He's so funny. And so I'm like, any character that can make my kids a Star Wars fan is a great character in my book. And that's why I wholly endorse Jar Jar Binks. So there you go. That's perfect. Right, right, right there. That's a perfect way to to to, to end that, and we can move on to um, uh, this topic here. Uh, question: I think that I, I, Jason, I think this applies to you as well because you um, you go to Ren Fair's dresses dressed as a pirate. Um, the question yes, is: and uh, uh, is is it too hot to cosplay in the summer? Um, my oh. answer to that is: it depends on the weather and the costume. So, like, I'm in Utah now, so in the summer we're generally between. 90 some odd degrees and like you're melting in your skin right so it gets just gets more hot from there and it's really really dry but if your costume allows air to go through and allows you to breathe and allows your sweat to cool you then no absolutely you can co- you can cosplay in the summertime i do yeah um <clears throat> you know i I, I do the one cosplay character, but mainly because I play Big Daddy Cool all the time. It's it's like doing a cosplay, you know. It's it's a character who is a part of me, but you know I'm you know I'm doing a character so often that that you know I don't really have very much interest in in doing other cosplay characters. But that character, I'm wearing five layers: uh, an undershirt, shirt and tie, vest, and uh, I count the tie as a layer. And and um, a, a zoot suit coat, um, which is made out of upholstery fabric. I had it custom made, and uh, it was a wool like suicidal. That's crazy. Yeah, and a wool fedora. Um, inside, no problem. And and look, I've gotten used to it. I've been doing that. I've been wearing that costume for uh, 17 years now, and and so I've I've kind of gotten used to the the feeling of it and the heat. But uh, if I'm going to be at an outdoor event in the summer, I ain't wearing that. No. And. And I've got a couple of alternative outfits that I can wear. Um, primarily, I wear a, uh, a bowl, you know, in the heat of the summer, if I'm doing an outdoor festival, I'm wearing a bowling shirt. I've got this great one that's black with uh, leopard print trim and uh, wear a driver's cap with it, uh, you know, a Kangol ventilated driver's cap, mm-hmm. uh, flat cap, if you will. And uh, light, lightweight uh, chinos, khakis and, and, and Converse tennis shoes that are well ventilated. You know, that's the only way I survive. Otherwise, I would uh, I would melt. Yeah, I think that one of the things that some people had sent me because they, they when they when they heard that I said this, they said, "Well, you, you have to." What one person said, "You have to have um, if you're doing one character, you got to do one character in different fabrics, and the fabric for for summer is linen." And it was just like you can get linen in like like any color and 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 in varying textures with with obviously um, some exceptions. 
Um, and somebody had said that it's like if you have like a, if you're like wearing like a stormtrooper costume or something like that, uh, ice packs, the ice packs that you like the the, the gel packs, um, just put those in the freezer and then just put them in in strategic places all over your body. Or or you know, it's like somebody had said that they, like they rig this internal fan system where it's just like yeah. sucking air in and it's like it's yeah it's and it's, and it's running off of like an old like an old laptop battery or two or three and it was so just like the, yeah the, the Disney characters at, at Disney World um, they all have uh, cooling systems um, internal AC units in those costumes that's amazing and I've got a I've got a buddy here who does uh, Batman and uh, he does uh, you know the, the armored up Batman he does the uh, Dark Knight Returns Batman and he, he's got like five or six different outfits but you know the ones that he wears out to events have um, a cooling system in them. Yeah, fans and um, you know uh, like you can't use fr- not Freon, but there's there's a, a, a I guess a chemical it's, network system, something that yep. cools his body. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of things that you can do that will that that could I, I hate to use the phrase be the heat, but there's there are definitely ways that you can if you're going to cosplay outdoors in the summer, there are many different ways that you can go around it, and I think that it was just like I think it's amazing how people come up with brand new ideas on what they can do to um, enhance not only their costume but to actually like rig it to um, to endure the elements. That that's also really exciting for me. So well, that's where I think it's fascinating. The you had mentioned earlier, people are like, well, if you cosplay the same character, you've got to come up with different outfits for them, right? Yeah. And at the Renaissance Festival, at the Pirate Festival, various comic cons and other conventions that I've been to and I've seen and and interacted with people who were cosplaying there are people who do that they have just one character and every time you see them they're dressed up as another either another version of that character or that character wearing just a different outfit right and as one of the cosplayers told me she said well I'm a girl we never wear the same outfit more than once (laughs) so and my wife who just is sitting next to me now she pointed out she actually just did a a google search for cosplay women and she pointed at this woman who's essentially wearing a bikini and she said now that's an outfit to beat the heat so it all depends on the outfit like you know john you were saying that you put on a a bowling shirt when it's hot outside instead of wearing a a three-piece suit because you're not stupid and that's exactly what you've got to do i mean i think the people who dress up as a stormtrooper in 100 degree heat if they don't have some way of cooling themselves down they're suicidal they're going to get heat stroke there are serious health repercussions if you do not prepare for the weather and I also wonder about the statistics how how many people do pass out from the heat or suffer from heat stroke or heat exhaustion um, while cosplaying at, at, at conventions or whatever I don't know so you know I've never seen any stats on that but I did see an interesting article last week. Um, you guys may have seen it, asking the question: Was it cooler during the Victorian era? Yes. And and it was asking the question because of the clothing that people wore and the layers and you know a lot of wool and and hard you know heavy fabric. And I don't know that it was cooler as much as it was people weren't conditioned to air conditioning in every room. Right. You know, Eric, you and I are of an age that you probably can remember um, a time when you didn't have air conditioning in your house. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, when when I was a kid, we we put up fans in the windows, and you know, my dad had this fan sitting on a ladder against the storm window, you know, precariously propped up there to blow hot air out of the house. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, we didn't have air conditioning, and 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 it wasn't I, in I grew every up in a log cabin in a state forest. We kept all the windows open, and like you said, you had fans propped in windows if it got too hot. I was lucky in that it rarely got too hot where I live. Again, lots of trees, log cabin, cat wood is a great insulator, and with lots of trees, it's lots of shade. So, yeah, and yeah, no, I'm there with you, man. You know, and I, I think back to when I was a kid, and um, I mean, I'm talking like kindergarten age. Right. I don't remember. I don't remember wearing shorts unless we were going in the pool. You know, I remember wearing those. Uh, <laughs> those corduroy rough skins from Sears and Robot. Yeah. You know, your your knees would wear out before these pants did. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in the 70s, you know, wearing long sleeve T-shirts in the summer, velour. And, you know, I, I think it was just that we were more used to the heat back then and, and in previous eras. You know, I look, I, I remember watching the movie um, A League of Their Own, which is one of my favorite movies. Yep. And and you see these men out at the ball field in three-piece suits and wool hats. And, and you and you know that was the fashion of the day. That's That was casual going out, you know, clothing. And, uh, you know, no one's, no one's complaining about the heat. I think they were just used to it. And we've gotten spoiled because we have 64 degree weather in every room in America. Well, he, he, I think that's part of it. But also, uh, as you said, they're used to it. I mean, I remember when I was in the Coast Guard in boot camp, we actually had weather conditioning. We actually, I, when I went, it was right on the verge of winter and going into, you know, going into spring. And they had us outside in shorts and T-shirts doing PT in snow. They had us running around. We were on the coast. So, you know, we were literally running around, push-ups, sit-ups, all that kind of stuff in the snow because you've got to be able to operate and know you can operate in extreme conditions. Now, granted, that's the Coast Guard where we go out when most other sane people come back in. But at the same time, you if you condition yourself for it, you know, first of all, what your limitations are. And second of all, you know that you've conditioned your body to deal with it. Well, and those are things that we don't generally think about nowadays. Because, like you said, I can go inside, turn on air conditioner, and you know, I can be a little chilly too. I was thinking about this when um, I went to uh, Doug's father's funeral about two or three weeks back, and I was in Brooklyn and an outdoor cafe. And for some reason, the question—it just occurred, it dawned on me because I was because I was dressed for a funeral, um, and it was just like I was looking at everybody else, and they were looking at me like I was like uh, like like an alien just dropped out of a out of a, a, a pod or something like that. And I was like, "What happened to us?" Whereas, um, we like we don't like the slightest bit of discomfort. We don't like the slightest bit of. And when did that happen? When did that change? And is it just air conditioning, or is it a whole host of things? Because I I also think that the internet has spoiled us a little bit. Because if we want something, we can buy it instantly like that. Yeah, and you know, one of the reasons I'm a diesel punk is because I, I the punk aspect for me is the rejection of contemporary casual culture. 
you know, American slob culture. Yep. What what we call on the podcast the uh, the national uniform of t-shirts, shorts, and flip-flops. Yeah. Now, I'm wearing a t-shirt and shorts right now in, in my office, in my home. Right. I'll never, ever, ever wear flip-flops. You will never see me wearing flip-flops. You and me both. Not brother. even at the beach. It's, it's you know, tennis shoes. But, um, you know, if I'm out in public, unless I'm at the beach or if I'm riding my bicycle, because I ride a bike to commute to work every day, um, any other time, I am wearing proper clothing casual or or formal or whatnot and and it is remarkable that you know i go to places that just 10 years ago it would have been completely unacceptable to be seen in that that space with a t-shirt shorts and flip-flops and yet here we are you know there was a great article um last year about you know stop being a slob when you go to a broadway show yes you know I, and talking I about, about, that. I the, about the slobs that. <laughs> that are tourists and you know showing up in the national uniform for a Broadway show. You know, where's where's the sense of decorum? Where's the sense of formality anymore? And I don't know when we lost to Eric, but we I lost it sometime. Yeah. I think honestly that that's, that's something that we as, you know, people who appreciate the, the days of yesteryear, that's one of the things I think why we appreciate it is that people had a sense of decorum. They had a sense of propriety, you know? I think it's a little extreme that, you know, like in the 50s, women wouldn't leave the house unless they had on makeup and did their hair. I think that's a little extreme. You don't need to go that far with it. But at the same time, don't be walking around, you know, going to the store in your underwear, you know. You know, the, the infamous People of Walmart website, which, by the way, doesn't feature just people at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Pretty much anywhere. But, you know, it's it's people wearing these outrageous costumes in public whether they're going to walmart whether they're going to the theater even a movie theater i mean when i was a kid if we were going to a movie theater we we didn't wear shorts and a t-shirt going to the movies now my parents wouldn't have it unless it was insanely hot outside but we just don't expect that of ourselves let alone other people nowadays and that's we as a society how do we change that i think it'll change on its own over time at some point, someone will get sick of it, and you know, a movement will start, and then people will, as in general, start dressing up more. You know, I think that's just kind of part of the cycle of society. But that doesn't mean that we have to, in our own daily lives, conform to that sort of dictate of society. You know, personally, though, got to be honest, I love wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I wear shorts and a t-shirt when I go out. But if I'm going to a theater to watch a play, I'm going to put on pants, collared shirt. I'm going to dress up a bit. May not wear a tie because it's insanely hot out here. But, you know, it, I don't know. It just seems appropriate. Plus, the wife like what? having me all dressed up too well the thing is is that we are the movement diesel punk steampunk all the other retro punks we are the movement we're trying to get back to that original aesthetics and and we're slowly gaining ground but we but here's something that a lot of people do not realize and and, I, and i'll tell you this from my own personal experience Whereas wherever you go, and, and, and Jay will testify to this, I wear um, uh, dress slacks, dress shoes, dress shirt, tie, a vest, and my fedora. And you will be amazed at how people will treat me as opposed to when I am wearing, um, like if I'm going to like the college and I wear the college uniform, uh, old pants, a t-shirt, college sweatshirt, and the cap. It is amazing how you can go to the same place and the same people will treat you two different ways. Whereas like if you're 
you're wearing a tie and a dress shirt and slacks and and you look like what they used to call business casual they treat you differently is it is it right or wrong it, it doesn't matter that's just the way it is john it's also sorry i'm gonna jump in here Eric. hey becky okay. um it's also how you represent yourself how you dress how you act your dress affects the way you are perceived but also how you show yourself to other people good point john what do you think yeah no i i agree completely and you know um you know, in, in my daily life, you know, I do wear suit and tie a lot, waistcoat, fedora, or, or you know, formal driver cap, you know, depending on the day. And um, people people notice. And, you know, that's that's part of the retro punk movement is, you know, to be noticed and, and to stand out by being different from uh, from the rest of the crowd. And, and, you know, even just when I'm in my normal civvies, my muggle clothes, as I call them, you know, people are like, man, you look sharp. Uh, you look dapper. I hear that all the time. I, I actually hate that word. But anyway, um, you know, I hear that on a daily basis. But when I go out in public and, and a lot of times I do because I get dressed at home to go to a show where I'm performing is Big Daddy Cool. So I'm in the zoot suit, I'm in the hat, and I got to stop somewhere, maybe pick up some supplies, um, you know, pick up, uh, you know, a drink or something for backstage, whatever. And, you know, I go in or I go out in, in full regalia. People don't just treat me different. They treat me like I'm freaking royalty. Yeah. They they, they part and move, move aside for me to come through. You know, women treat me completely differently. You know, I can I can be myself and be completely invisible to women. But when I'm in that character, they give me their phone numbers. Yeah. You know, I don't have to solicit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, like, yeah, that's but that's like my wife was saying, you know, it's not only I mean, especially like in, in your case, you're talking about now when you're dressed up as Big Daddy Cool. It's not just John, John Pica. I'm probably murdering your last name. So I no, that's exactly right. OK, but, you know, you're Big Daddy Cool. You know, John may be, you know, a little more reserved in his conversation with daily people, but, you know, Big Daddy Cool, hey, I'm Big Daddy Cool, you know? Hey, so doll, how you swinging? Yourself, putting yourself out there, you know? Yeah, yeah, you know, and I'll talk to him like that. Hey, doll, how you swinging? You're looking 24 karat. Can exactly. you dig that? You know, and, and you know, they, they respond to that. People respond to that. And, you know, I, I flirt with the girls and the guys. You know, it's a different kind of flirt, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. And uh, people respond to it and they, they love it and they, they you know, treat me appropriately. And, and it's powerful. And it, it really makes me sad that so many other people have never experienced that. Yes. And don't know what's that, what, what that's like. And, and, and speaking about the whole thing with the phone numbers, boy, it is really embarrassing and you really get put on the spot when your wife finds one of those when you're doing the laundry. That really sucks. I, I would like to go back in time and talk to my 14-year-old nerdy, geeky, dorky self and explain to him, hey, not only is it going to get better, but it's also going to get worse, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's what they made business cards for. So a lot of times I do have girls, you know, so, you know, hit on me um, when I'm in the character and I'm married to um, and, and, you know, there's obviously a fine line between John the Muggle and, and Johnny Della Rocca, the, the former gangster turned entertainer. But what I just do is when, when girls are being really aggressive, I'll flirt with them. I'll flirt back with them. I'll make them, you know, 
I'll play their game, but you know, at the end of the day, I say, "Hey, are you guys online? Are you on Facebook or or uh, you know Twitter? Here's here's my card. Connect with me online." Yeah. And and so that that avoids that whole awkward thing, and I've created new fans. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Um. You know what? Perfect time to segue. And I, maybe we already did this to death, but this is a question that was raised in an, in another podcast in another forum. And uh, would you ever wear a costume to the Re- a Renaissance festival that's not related to like the Renaissance era, like indie wear, a diesel punk gear? the diesel punk era uniform or whatever would you ever do something like that because a lot of red fairs are, are coming this summer and i'm thinking about doing yeah. that. what do you think honestly i think that depends on the ren fair like the ren fair that we go to they actually have a steampunk weekend that they're open it's open four weekends or five weekends depending on them on the month if there's four or five weekends in the month but they had a they have a weekend that's dedicated to steampunk right um so some rent fairs are a lot more stringent, almost draconic in their um, in their adherence to the rules. Like for example, I went to a rent fair in New England, and the performers, the people that were there that were working, it didn't matter what their job was, they had to speak in the Queen's English at all times, even if it was after hours and you hadn't left the the venue yet they still had to speak to you there was no we're not allowed to break character and they actually would get fined if they did not use queen's english i think that's a little draconian but that's just if you were wearing a costume that was not appropriate to a a red fair they wouldn't let you in i think that's a little extreme it's turning money yep like i said they were very very strict so i think it's strange but you know, hey, it's their venue. If they want to turn down people coming in, pff, stupid business, so go right ahead. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's just, it all depends on the rent fare itself. It's not my business. Yeah, so, no. go ahead, go John. ahead Eric. No, go, no, John, go ahead, please. You're the guest. You know, I, I, I've, uh, I go to rent fairs about once once a year, and uh, I never I never dress in period costume. I don't have anything really to wear. I've you know I, I did that Renaissance madrigal stuff back in college, and uh, you know it's just not my bag. I enjoy going to the fair because there's cool stuff going on there, but you know I'm not gonna dress in that that era that period. So what I wear every day in my everyday life, you know, I'm aspiring to that that aesthetic of the the for me it's mostly 30s, 40s and 50s, sometimes into the 20s, but you know, I'm always trying to instill the idea of those that that era. Yep. And so, you know, I'm going to wear something that's going to be a little bit retro, um retro americana. And, um, you know, so, so from that standpoint, yes, I, you know, I'm, I, I will wear a diesel punk costume. Now, would, would I wear, you know, my zoot suit and fedora? Would I wear, you know, a Hugo Boss inspired military style uniform? I wouldn't personally. Um, do I see a problem with someone doing it? No, not really. You know, it's just in the grand scheme of things, it's all just fantasy and having fun. 
but I know some people would get bent out of shape about it. And when you think about it, you know, a Ren Fair doing a steampunk weekend here in Nashville, they did that for the first time this year. They they had a steampunk weekend, and the weekend before that was the pirate invasion. And, and you know, really, neither one of those wow. eras was represented in the historical Renaissance era. So I don't know. So whatever the Ren Fair wants to do, they can do. I guess. I, I think that at least they should post on their website if they're going to say we're only going to allow people in in period costumes through the gate they should put that on their website or they should put it on the tickets before you buy them you shouldn't have totally to agree with that. you shouldn't have to drive a couple of hours to find out they're not going to let you in because you know you're wearing your Hugo Boss paramilitary outfit um, or or whatever because I'm I'm thinking about doing something like you do John I'm thinking about wearing something that's pro- might actually be more Victorian or Edwardian with my with my typical brown fedora I I don't know. But I mean, it was it was a thought. Um, there was also a, uh, there was also another another question that I was going to put on here, but I'm going to save. Uh, how, how are we doing on time, guys? We've been doing this for an hour and thirteen minutes. Do you want another question, or do we want? Yeah, to... yeah, I got I got about another fifteen minutes. All right, I can go. Too. I can go longer. Uh, one of the things that I've rediscovered is Alan First's book. Alan First writes really great historical fiction, um, and it's something that um, I, I would almost suggest to Andrew over at Dieselpunk uh, HQ because uh, he's. He's uh, going to be um, reenacting uh, for um, uh, for uh, World War II, uh, um, yeah, a, a military weekend, and he's representing a group of people from World War II, the the partisans and the resistance fighters. And if you really want to get into the head of the partisans and the resistance fighters, you got to read Alan First's book. And I just finished uh, a, a Man in Paris which is a great book which explains how do people get caught up in the resistance movement especially during that period and 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 the thing is is that the people in the resistance they were not all good guys they were they it was all it had nothing to do with the fact that they were against fascism it was against somebody else coming into their neighborhood and and taking over and when they had an organized crime racket in in that neighborhood and it, 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 these are just great books. And I'm going to try and burn through at least one a week and write a review on the website, which leads to the question, what is the summer reading list for diesel punkers and retronauts like us? John? Wow. Well, um, if you guys haven't read my book, Tales from the Flipside, that should go at the top of the list. Perfect segue. Um, Perfect segue. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, there's actually a really... Uh, a lot of really great stuff that uh, is coming out. Um, there's a new book by Adam Christopher called Made to Kill. Uh, and Adam Christopher has done a lot of really cool uh, diesel era, atomic era sci-fi and fantasy. I would call um, the book Empire State a, a classic diesel punk book. And um, this is kind of a sequel to Empire State. It's about uh, robots, uh, one particular robot who has been built and programmed to be a murderer. And uh, it's a real, it's a pretty short read. Uh, that's on my list. I pick up at the beginning of the year, and I still haven't been able to dig into it, um, a collection of Rocketeer short stories. Oh, yeah. Called uh, Rocketeer Jetpack Adventures, and it's uh, all prose. Um, so it's an anthology and uh, really cool. So that's on my list. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a comic book fan. So um, I'm, uh, I'm digging Civil War 2 from Marvel and uh, a lot of the tie-ins. And uh, there's a great new series that just started from uh, Dynamite. It's a shadow series by Matt Wagner called The Death of Margot Lane. And I think issue two is out this week. I haven't, I haven't been over to the comic book shop yet. But um, 
Matt Wagner is one of these guys who absolutely loves and adores the shadow. And it really shows uh, through his work. And I, I highly recommend that series. And if you want to read other Matt Wagner stuff, he did Shadow Year One and uh, he did Shadow versus Grendel. Uh, that was a three-issue series. It's available as a collected hardcover or trade paperback. Fantastic. I, I highly recommend those. And then um, there's a new, uh, if you're into comics, there's a new uh, follow-up series to uh, King's Watch, which uh, last year Dynamite did. It was a teaming of Flash Gordon, Mandrake the Magician, the Phantom, and Lothar, basically Defenders of the Earth. Um, and uh, they, they're doing a follow-up series this summer called King's Quest that is just super great. I, I really am digging it. So I like um, Defenders of the Earth. That was that was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, that was a well, the, at one point too, wasn't it? That, that's right. That's right. And and that's why I referenced it because a lot of people remember the Defenders of the Earth cartoon series and um, the Marvel Star Comic series, but that uh, this. Uh, this is those characters, but you know it's a grown-up adventure. It's not a you know a kids kids book. Um, so King's King's Watch was the first one, um, and the, the the whole story revolved around them defeating Ming the Merciless's attempted invasion of of the Earth. Um, and then King's Quest is is the second series, and it deals with the betrayal of basically of Dale Arden, who has joined Ming and uh, has become his bride, become Whoa. his queen. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And, and the art is uh, really fantastic. I don't have a copy of it in front of me. I can't remember the artist's name, but it's this real painterly art. If you're into uh, the Tim Sal, uh, Tim Sale, rather, uh, color series from Marvel, Spider-Man Blue, Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray, it's that kind of style of art. Um, very painterly. You can see the brush strokes. I, I dig it in a big way. It's it's a style that I really love. And, and so King's Quest. And the cool thing about that, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of spoil it a little bit, is that at the end of the King's Watch series, um, Kit Walker, the Phantom, um, sacrifices himself to save the Earth. And Lothar becomes the new Phantom. And so that's where this series picks up. Um, Lothar is still the Phantom, but has found the next generation of, of Walker, uh, Kit Walker's either daughter or niece, or I, I can't remember the relationship, but uh, and is training her to be the first female Phantom, but the uh, the next Phantom. And so that's kind of a cool side story that's going on. Sounds, uh, sounds like awesome. That sounds good. Hey. I've always liked Pulp. Jay, do you have anything on your reading list before we call it a night? Absolutely. Um, because I'm more of a comic guy, like John was mentioning. Um, Hellboy. It's graphic novel, Mike Mignola, John Byrne. Um, Hellboy is steampunk or diesel punk, depending on the mood of the writer generally, um, which is Mike Nola. But Hellboy is just phenomenal. Phenomenal. It's They're well-written. You can even watch. They have animated cartoons on um, Netflix. Um, sort of Destruction, I think, is the name of it. Of course, the two Hellboy movies. They want to make a Hellboy 3 movie when I I say they, I mean everyone involved in the project, from Guillermo del Toro down to the actors, and they just haven't been able to all get on the same schedule for it. That's the only reason why it hasn't been made yet. Um, there, um, well. <laughs> there were actually, uh, the animated series uh, was grouped together in two uh, feature films um, on DVD. Sort of Destruction is one, and 
Oh, I can't remember what the other one is, but on Netflix, there, there's two of them. So you can see the, the animated series as a collected story in basically a movie format. And there's, there's, they actually do take place after the, the first movie, before the second movie. They are sequential, yeah. I remember. Yeah, they're, they're canon, and um, the voice actors are Ron Perlman and uh, um, uh, what's her name that plays Selma Blair. Uh, Selma Blair. Yeah. And, yeah, um, and Edward, and no, um, they're the movie actors doing the voices on the animated Yeah, the series. guy that played Abe. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, the other one I would also recommend is Hard Magic by a guy named Larry Correa. Larry Correa, um, he got his start as writing kind of monsters in modern day. He's more famous for the monster hunters, and they've sold very well. He's now making his living as a writer. I, I've actually met him a few times. Um, that's how I started reading his stuff. Um, but he writes uh, something called Hard Magic, which is a diesel punk adventure. It's about a, a private eye, and he kind of gets involved with some magic, some supernatural stuff going on. And that's basically what the, the series is about. It's called the Grim Noir Chronicles. And um, I haven't read those yet, but that's on my reading list. That's one of the ones I want to read. My wife and I actually picked up a book kind of out of sequence. Um, it's in a series called The Clockwork Century, written by Sherry Creese. And it's basically zombies and steampunk at the same time. And that may sound like they just kind of threw it together to kind of take advantage of two crazes, but it actually works well. Um, we actually did a, a long road trip, road trip where we were listening to the audiobook on a bridge. And it's a good series. It's definitely something my wife's actually been looking for the other audiobooks because she, she drives around a lot. And it's, it's easier to listen to the books than to, than to read them when she's gone so much. Um, also, of course, can't forget the classics. Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, H.G. Wells, The Time Machine. Anything by Jules Verne is the definition of steampunk. He's the one that started it all. And H.G. Uh, Wells also. They are the fathers of steampunk slash diesel punk. So anything by them, definitely got to be on the... If you haven't read it, you should read it. And if you haven't read it in a while, you should reread it kind of a thing. I think that's it. I think that's a, that's a, that's a perfect way to wrap it all up. Because the thing is, is that we are way past the time. But who cares? Because it's a podcast. And we don't have satellites, you know, with a hard break and all like that so anyway exactly. so i want to thank both of you for coming on the show and having a great conversation i'm sorry josh knight couldn't couldn't make it tonight uh but we'll actually have to get him uh on the next time uh, the next time we that we do this and uh if you guys have suggestions for other show topics i would really appreciate that and um i'd love to have you guys both here again in the very near future uh anytime you need me brother just Give a shout, and I'll be here. I, I will. I will give you um, uh, uh, much more of uh, of a heads up instead of just two hours. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. And uh, let me know uh, when's the best night to record. That would be awesome. So anyway, any any final last words before we head out? Um, no, not really. Uh, I enjoyed doing the podcast. Had a lot of fun, John. It was nice to meet you. And Eric, you know Becky and I. If uh, if we can make the time, we'll definitely join on any podcast. Oh, you guys are the best. All right guys yeah and uh thanks for having me and uh to all those cats and kittens out there those guys and dolls those diesel powered disciples cool swing hard swing off and and i'll catch you on the flip side what a perfect way to end the podcast thank you once again this has been the fedora chronicles radio show you can support us by making a donation via paypal dot me slash fedora chronicles 
We thank you in advance for any support you have to offer. You're the reason why we do this show, and we appreciate your help in keeping the lights on. You can also support the show by buying our products at Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. We have countless of products with our logos on them, and we also take special requests. If you have an idea for a product, design, slogan, whatever, let us know. You can get in touch with us via the Fedora Chronicles Twitter and Facebook pages. That's a great way to suggest future topics, tell us what you like about the show, or just keep in touch. We'll even read some of your comments on the air. Finally, thank you once again for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. This is Eric Renderking-Fisk signing off. Keep your chins up and your fedoras on. Only three, only of only three to ten people know that I'm on a podcast. And in the school, there's 250 to 300 people. And they all know that you do this podcast. <laughs>